I was thinking this afternoon about, well, the last few days I've been thinking about the subject of just power over the flesh, freedom from bondage. And last Thursday, we talked about how God's kindness delivers us, right? And actually that message kind of morphed into something more than that, just about our victory over sin and victory over the devil and victory over the flesh, right? And so I was thinking this afternoon that when I was just praying and just asking the Lord what he would have us talk about tonight, I just had this thought from God that we should talk about God's, the, the way God has set us free from the power of the flesh, the power of the devil, and the power of the world system. And how many of us have ever experienced that? <laughs> I think we all have, and right from the beginning of our life, we, the world tells us through family backgrounds, what people say, how the world hurts us, how many have ever been hurt by the system, okay? The world hurts, the world traumatizes, the, the world system abuses. How many times have we seen people abused by the system? failures of the system and and then even the success of the system can bring a person into or destroy a person and hurt a person how many times have people put their trust in communism or in a form of government and then in the end just be disillusioned by that system in the world another thing that the devil uses in the world is people's flesh in our flesh and what he wants to do is the devil wants to put us into bondage. And, you know, when I moved to Philadelphia or this area here, I just could, I've, I really sensed like that there was, Pastor Tony and I talked about this, that there's a real spirit in this city. And I think it's in every American city of just bondage. You know, like there's different words for that. There's words like addiction. There's words like bondage. There's words like um uh, the chains and so the flesh we can come into bondage through the flesh like the flesh learns ways to meet the needs of love and the sense of worth and there's two great needs in our lives as human beings a sense of worth that we really need that understanding of how much we are worth and love and understanding that we are loved and there's many other great needs in, in a human being, but without the understanding of these two great needs, God's perspective on how much we are loved, and number how much and number two, how much we are worth, without these two understandings, we're gonna just be floating into the world or we're gonna be starting to look to satisfy those own needs ourselves. And really both of those are related, aren't they? Love and worth. If something is very worthy in my life, I'm going to love it very much, right? Uh, we read that joke last week about the guy who, who couldn't find his wife, but he could describe his car. <laughs> I mean, he understood. We could really see where this guy's heart was. And this can, you know, it's a funny story, but it's very true that the flesh can learn behavior. It can learn ways to do things to, un, to sense acceptance and to, to sense... Uh, worthiness. And so what happens is, is that um, 
Then you have the third thing, the devil. And the devil uses the atmosphere with vibrations in the air for accusations and lies about who we are, about who God is and what we need in life. And so the devil is lying to us in these three areas, who you are, number two, who God is, and number three, what you need. Those are the three things that the devil lies to us about, that the lies to you about who you are, about what you need and who God is. And so God did, God did through the cross an amazing thing. It was just incredible, the genius work of the cross. And I want to look at that in a minute, but there's a few things here that I want us to understand because probably what we'll do for the next few Thursdays is just have a series on, um, and I don't want to just limit it to the word addiction because it's just a much bigger word. It's... um, just to, dis- to discuss our finished work victory over the devil, the flesh, and the world system, okay? And whoever gets elected this coming election, we are going to be disappointed in the fact that only King Jesus can be our, the greatest king and the greatest politician in our lives. And sometimes people put so much faith and so much hope in, a, in a, an electric, elected official that they are disappointed and the system is always going to disappoint us and so there are these two great needs that we have to be accepted and to be loved and you know when a person experiences rejection I don't we don't need to get into a lot of psychology but when a person experiences rejection at a young age it really affects them in every way Um, these two needs or the understanding of these two needs the being accepted and being having value uh, really determines what drives us and what we do. You know, very wealthy people and very successful people, some of them are very driven to succeed because they are looking for that acceptance. They are looking for that love. And they will work very hard and they will be very driven in what they do because they want to be accepted. And it's an interesting way to look at people that are very wealthy some people are just blessed by God and that's awesome but these two factors being accepted and feeling worthwhile really are a driving factor in a lot of motivation God made us that way and his design is that he will be the great meter of all our needs when we look to him God has put inside of us needs these are These are what we describe as a whole. God has created man, and without God in man, and without the filling of the Holy Spirit, and without the filling of the Word, and the renewing of our minds day by day, there's a hole there. And we can feel it, can't we? Sometimes we know it's there, sometimes we don't know it's there, but we can just feel the drive. I need to be recognized. I need to be... uh, I need to be... um, I need, you know, we talked about, we've talked about these six different things that a human being needs. But only God can meet these needs. And so the question for us tonight is, what's the greatest thing that we need in our life? Greatest thing that we need in our life really is to understand God's grace. That's the greatest need that we have today. And just driving up here, I was thinking, you know, we are just so frail people, aren't we? We just fall apart in a moment. We could say something wrong to someone or do something 
with a concept in mind, and we could really just destroy somebody unknowingly and unwit un unwittingly. And we just need so much grace, don't we? We need so much patience from God. We need so much understanding from the Word, and we are just such needy people. As we grow, there are problems and there are things that we go through, and life is really not fair to anybody, whether they are a Christian or not. People go through things in life. They, are, they get messed up, they get beat up, they get mistreated. And um, this is how the devil wants to destroy us so that we would never understand our value. And then number two, understand that we are loved. He wants to, at first, live in feelings about ourselves, then quickly turn into what we believe. And those feelings will quickly turn into what we believe about ourselves. For example, we go to school and or we're in a circumstance and someone says something and we begin to believe it. And these feelings slowly become a way a person looks at themselves and the way they believe about themselves. And the way they begin to look at themselves is what they really believe that they are. And this is one of the lies of the devil in John 8, verse 44, that the devil is a liar. We need to look beyond um, things that are going on in people's lives and in our own lives and look at the source. That We need to look outside of ourselves, look outside of what we're experiencing and what we're feeling, and really look at the true source, that our battle is not with flesh and blood in Ephesians 6, verse 12. I think we could preach on that verse for the next 20 Sundays, just that verse. <laughs> we wrestle not against people and personalities. We wrestle not against situations. We wrestle not against mother-in-laws and, and father-in-laws. We wrestle not against our neighbors. We wrestle not against our boss. We wrestle not against our coworker. We wrestle not against our wife or our husband. We wrestle not against our teenagers. And that list can go on and on. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, organized demons, a destructive demonic host, a, uh, an, uh, a, a, an organized, very old demonic system that's been around for millennia. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and spiritual wickedness in high places. But thanks be to God, right? In Romans chapter 7, who has given us the victory through what? Jesus Christ. Right. Thanks be to God that God has given us the victory through Jesus Christ. The greatest crime, I think, in Christianity is when a person lives their life never truly discovering who they are in Christ. That's amazing. I just think it's unbelievable. You know, to not discover who, how awesome of a person and how awesome God's plan is for your life. How effective you can be in God's kingdom how you can impact other people that are struggling with things that you've struggled with because you've learned victory in your life. You've learned victory over depression. You've learned victory over different things in your life. And the devil wants us to believe about a lie about our, our identity, which is a false identity. And we could just go on and on and just talk about these kind of things. But the way we believe creates patterns in our flesh and these flesh patterns are simply a way that we have learned to meet our needs independent of God. And this is the problem is that Adam and Eve were created with needs. Okay? They had not yet sinned, they had not fallen in the garden yet, they had not 
made any mistakes. Uh, they were in the garden, and they were in a state of innocence. But they were not in a place where they had experienced holiness. And the difference between innocence and holiness is this, is that innocence is the, is the absence of sin, but it doesn't necessarily mean it is, there is perfection there. It means that Adam and Eve were to learn, they were to learn obedience like Jesus did in Hebrews chapter 5. They were to learn obedience to the things that they had been instructed or they had been, that they had suffered. They were born in a perfect environment with no sin. There was no sin. They had no sin nature. Imagine that. They had no, uh, they just had a devil that was, that Adam was to be guarding the garden and to keep the garden. In the Hebrew, it says that he was to guard it from demonic influence. And they were to grow in this innocence or grow in this holiness. And as they were faced with things, they were to make decisions with God and with the definition that God had given them. And so they were to grow in this character of holiness and God-likeness. And there is a... Um, there was a, a very well-known preacher um, back in the spring, uh, very well-known, preached a message in his church that it is possible that Jesus um, made mistakes, but he didn't sin. And I don't agree with that because the Bible talks very differently about that. And this opens up a subject, could Jesus have sinned or even had made moral sins to because he was learning. For example, the argument is this. Well, what if, you know, Jesus, like, did Jesus, uh, did Jesus automatically know his alphabet? Or did Jesus automatically know how to walk? Did Jesus automatically know, like, you know, how to, you know, build something? The answer to that in Hebrews chapter 5 is, is that Jesus learned obedience, not because of sin and not because of failure, but Jesus was presented, as every human being is, with options to either. And he was, did he know? No, he didn't. He was not born. He was 100% God, but he chose not to utilize that 100% of his divinity. He chose to live in the, divin in the, in the limitations of his humanity. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. Jesus was 100%. Could Jesus have said, you know what? I don't know the answer to that question of the puzzle. I'm just going to lean on my divinity right now, my omniscience, and just figure it out and cheat. No, he didn't do that. Jesus learned through, he suffered and he learned obedience through the things that he had suffered. And so theologically, that's not correct. Jesus, was he learning? Yes. Did, he, did the book of Luke say he grew in wisdom and stature and strength? Yes, it did. But it does not mean that Jesus in some way was fallen or that Jesus made moral mistakes. And the, the, I don't know if you know who I'm talking about, but that kind of theology or that kind of teaching impacted many, many people. It was all over, you know, it was all over the place. And now this particular person is, is having a lot of trouble and he's recovering. So um, the point being is, is, that, is that Jesus grew and he learned obedience to the things he suffered. The same thing with us. Um, Jesus did not make mistakes in the sense that there were rebellious errors. Uh, Jesus learned, and he learned, and he grew, and he chose not to, and I don't need to get any more into that, but he chose not to lean on his divinity, 
but chose to live in the limitations of a human being and to um, grow in his father's will. And so that brings us to this point that that we are we were born with a sin nature. All, all of us have a defect in our chemical, in our physical body, in our blood, and that's called the old sin nature. We have our soul in Psalm 139 or Psalm 119 cleaves to the dust. There is just like there, if I was to drop this phone on the floor, there is the there is also a spiritual law of gravity. We are, if we are in passive mode, and you know spiritually in couch potato mode, then we will feel the downward pull, won't we? Right? We will feel that if if we are not allowing the Holy Spirit to renew our minds, to quicken our minds, to re, to stir us up in the gift that He's given us, that grace, then we will be acted upon by the world, the flesh, and the old sin nature, and, and by the devil. And so, a some of these strongholds that people experience in their life are because they start off from believing a lie about themselves. They begin to believe a lie about themselves then because the world system is is hand in hand with the devil and I love our medical system I think we got awesome doctors but there's also a side of it that can be very very um very dark to it and because the system is hand in hand with the devil there there are there are things that can be created that can really destroy people and this whole movement to legalize marijuana marijuana I mean it's unbelievable like pot, what it does to people's heads, Some, it, chemically and 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 um, uh, the chemistry medically is proven to affect the way people think. It's just anyone that's ever taken it, any any of us that have any brains know what it does to people, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you know, you don't have to. And the way that's being sold today to the society is it's a painkiller. Well, maybe that's you know, maybe it, it's a painkiller and it helps people. Okay, but, it, you know, a 17-year-old kid on the street doesn't need to be smoking it. And it's the system that is trying to sell to society something that is very powerful and that will deceive them. And so a person gets into drugs and they start thinking, okay, that's my problem, habit with drugs. Really, the problem is not that. The problem is much deeper, okay? The problem is much deeper than drugs. It's much deeper than addictions. It's much deeper than behavior. It's much different than anger. It's much different than whatever, whatever a person's struggle is, because there's an old sin nature that, if it is, if it is not crucified daily with a daily cross, and not only just a cross, but we need to be regenerated by the word. Some people just try to go to the cross and die there, and that's it, and they're just dead. They're <laughs> just like, oh, I'm dead. I'm crucified <laughs> with Christ. Wow, I don't feel great. This is really hard to stay crucified. It's impossible to stay crucified if we don't go to the second part of that verse in Galatians 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless. I like that. That's a big word. Nevertheless. You know what that means? You know, in today's terms, it means but, basically. It means even though I am dead, 
and and I've been and my sin has been judged and it's been paid for and somebody died for my sin, Jesus Christ died for me. I'm not there in that place of death. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. I'm alive, but it's not me calling the shots. It's Christ that lives in me. And this is really the picture of our daily life is that we go to the cross every morning. We say, God, okay, I surrender to the cross. I surrender to what you said about the flesh. I surrender to you what you said about my past. I surrender to you what you said about all my mistakes and yesterday's mistakes and yesterday's doubt and yesterday's failures. I was a teenager and I, I, didn't hear, I wasn't hearing this message when I was a teenager. And I was struggling with so many things. And I sought everywhere where I could... People would talk and sing in church about, you know, the old rugged cross and victory in Jesus and all the old hymns, right? And I went to a church that wasn't preaching the finished work, that wasn't preaching the gospel. And I remember struggling as a teenager, just, just so, so upset, reading the Bible... And I remember reading this one book um, about spiritual schizophrenia, and I thought, okay, my answer is going to be in this book. And I read this book, and I read it through. It was an old book. Maybe you know who wrote it, but I read it to the end because, you know, spiritual schizophrenia being Romans chapter 7, those things that I don't want to do, I do, and those things that I do, I don't want to do. You know, that's like a schizophrenic would talk. And so I get to the end of the book, last paragraph of the book, and says... It was all just psychoanalysis, and then at the end of the book, at the end of the last paragraph was, but Jesus died for all of that, and we can be free through the cross. And I had no, I didn't understand what that meant. And maybe I didn't read the book correctly, as possible, because I was 17 year old, 17 year old, 17 years old, and maybe I didn't read the book right. But it wasn't until someone sat down with me and explained to me the power of the cross. And when we surrender to what God has said about our sin, and when we surrender to what God has said about our past and what about our, our relationship to the world, then you know what happens? We are, the, the power of the lie is broken. Because the lie is, and see, Satan's whole campaign in your life is, is that he wants you and I to believe a lie about something that is not even true. So how do we, how do we um, and over the next maybe couple of weeks, we can talk more about practical things about this. But in Romans chapter 12, I want us to look at this, um, these two verses. How do we experience victory from the power of sin and the power of addictions? I mean, we can sit down and talk all day about what, a, what, people, what our problems are, you know. And we, can, and we can go through, you know, there's many different great programs. But how many of these programs really address who we are in Christ? You know? Who you are in Christ. I like this. If you tell me who I am in Christ, I'm going to know what to do. That's how we get victory over the old man. Because there's an old man, and then there's the new man in Christ. The old man is the image of who we were before we were saved. It is the lie that devil that the devil had created. The new man is who we are in Christ today. And this is in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And Paul is saying this. He said, the mercies. And Paul said, because of the mercy of God, meaning because God has not imputed your sin to you, that's mercy. 
Grace means that God is going to bless us despite us. God's going to give us what we don't deserve. And that's the way we want to look at our life. You know, we may have an old self-image like, you know, I'm, you know I, I am what I was in the flesh and my sin and my history. But grace tells us that God wants to bless you and I and to work in our lives regardless of who we are but based on who He is. And we say, God, why are you so good to me? And God would say, because I'm good. Like, God, why are you blessing me in this way? Because I'm good. God, why are you doing I don't deserve this. That's right, you don't deserve it. Wait, and, wait, and I understand more than you understand that you, don't, that you don't deserve it. But you're getting it because I'm good. And the mercy of God is, is that God's not giving us what we truly deserve. Isn't that amazing? The system will give us what we deserve. The world will give us what we deserve. And everybody will clap, you know, when the, when the perpetrator or when the, when the, when the uh, transgressor gets, gets, what he, gets, gets what he deserves, you know. That's mercy. Mercy, is, does not re- mercy rejoices over judgment. God's not in heaven clapping when the bad guy gets what he deserves. That God, God is thinking, I paid for that man's sin. And, that's, and, that's, and Paul the Apostle is a great example of that. I remember, you know, remember how Paul was on, his ro- on the road to Damascus with all the paperwork, all the, you know, all the, all the permissions to go and jail Christians and, you know, kill Christians and put them in prison. And God met him on the road and he got converted and then he was one of the greatest apostles in the New Testament. Some people would really have a problem with that. And we know just by reading between the lines in the book of Acts, that the apostles had trouble accepting Paul because of that. Like, they were like, how can this be? Can Paul just say, okay, I'm forgiven, I, I repent, and then everything's great? They really struggled with that, and they couldn't even meet him. They were afraid of him, but I think they were also wondering, what is this guy all about? Peter met with him, because Peter was probably the guy out of all the apostles that needed the most grace. You know, he just was needing it so much and he understood the grace of God the most and he met with him shortly but sent him home to Tarsus. God uses God used Paul because he needed the most grace. I remember years ago we were on a mission trip to Sarajevo, Bosnia, and we were down there and, you know, the war had just finished a few years earlier and... You know, I thought we were going to meet some really broken people after the war. And, you know, war really hardens people. And we were there. We had just arrived. We got out of our car. We started doing outreach on the street. And everybody was just like, I'm Muslim. Don't talk to me. Uh, Jesus is the Serbian God. You know, we believe in Allah and just everything like that. And I was like, okay, forget. I said, we were there 45 minutes. And I said, I was so frustrated. I said, okay, God, in the next 10 minutes, if we don't meet somebody... We're getting back in the car, and we're going to drive back to where we came from. You know, great missionary attitude. <laughs> and uh, so we're walking down the street. I just had given up. You know, I was just like, okay, I'm just going to walk, just, you know, follow these guys. And, and so I'm walking, and there's this guy on the, on the bench there selling books, just some old used books on the bench just selling. He was kind of a rough-looking guy, and he goes, hey, do you speak English? What are you handing out there? So he calls us over. And he goes, you know, my name is Nevin, and I'm homeless. I was a translator for the UN. 
I was their main guy here. I belonged to an elite unit of, of snipers, 12 men that were special forces, and our job was to keep the tanks, the Serbian tanks, from driving, rolling into Sar Sarajevo. And, uh, I, you know, he showed me a picture of his unit. He said everybody was dead. All these guys were dead. He was the only one that was alive. And he had a mangled arm, and he, and he w walked with a severe limp. And he was obviously had been severely wounded, had some markings on his face. But he was a young guy, you know, leather coat, jeans. And so I started sharing the gospel with him. And I'm thinking, okay, it's the last guy. Then we're going to go, you know. And uh, so he goes, no, that's not for me. I, I can't be saved. I go, why not? He goes, you don't understand the things that I've done. He goes, let me tell you, remember Sniper Alley? Remember hearing about Sniper Alley in Sarajevo? That alley where if you even stepped out into this, it was the main street where all the stores were in Sarajevo. Because I would shoot people. I would shoot, I, would, I had a scope because I was a sniper. I, I could take people out at good distance. And he goes, I've killed people. He says, I'm a bad man. <laughs> and he just told me like his story, these hair-raising things. And I go, wow, this guy's a bad guy. <laughs> and you know, I said, what do I say to him? You know, he, this guy is like, you know, he's a murderer. And I said, God, what do I say to him? You know, I said, I'm really not liking the city at all. And he goes, and God just spoke to me, and he said, Paul the Apostle, Paul himself killed and murdered the church of God. He was killing people, Christians. I said, there's a guy in the Bible that's worse than you, and his name is Paul the Apostle, and he wrote one-third of the New Testament. And when he heard that, when he had started processing that, what I was telling you about the life of Paul and the grace of God in his life, he began to have hope, and he got saved. He got saved, and... Uh, kept in contact with us. Now he lives in Paris, France. He's still homeless, but he likes that, I think. He's just living like that. But he has email, and he emails me from, once, from time to time. And he's a very interesting guy. The grace of God looks for the worst person that it can reach down and get a hold of their life and change them. Because mercy does not give us what we deserve, and grace gives us a package that we could never qualify for. I was saying to my wife the other day, I said, honey, it's amazing, this life that we're living, isn't it? I said, I could not live this life this way, even if I had the power to choose it. I wouldn't even know, like, how to even choose this kind of a life. I'd be somewhere else, like, lost in my own desires of what I think life should be. And so the key here is, is that the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Let me break this down into some um, practical meaning here. That when we come to God with our dirty diapers, I like the, the illustration of a baby that's got dirty diapers that runs into the room, stinks up the whole room, has no idea how bad he smells. But everybody loves him, right? Everybody loves the little kid with the diapers. And that's the way we are with God even much more so because we have the righteousness of Christ. We can come boldly to God with everything that's not right, and we can be so disappointed ourselves with our perfection, religious perfectionist attitude, and we can be say, I know better. I've been a Christian for 732 years. I should know this. I, 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 I have this and this again. And we can be so discouraged. And, we, and, and God just says, you know something? Every time that we put our trust in ourselves, we are going to find ourselves disappointed. We need to 
present ourselves a living sacrifice and say, God, here I am with everything. All of my... And by the way, as time goes on and you experience victories in your life and we grow as Christians and we mature and we actually become like, you know, you know, become used by God, guess what happens? We discover there's other things in our soul that God wants to deal with. It's just because somebody has a title does not mean that they've become sinlessly perfect. It just means that they've learned how to trust the grace of God a, a lot more than a lot of other people. And as time goes on, God's going to show us things, and we need to continue to live in honesty with God and transparency. God's going to reveal things that he wants to convert in our soul. And as that, as that happens, we need to continue to every day present ourselves a living sacrifice. And you know, we've got to remember these words, holy and acceptable. When we come to God, we just got to understand these two words. And I'm holy. But sometimes our, our behavior, our attitude may try to tell us differently. We come to God understanding that I'm holy. I am holy. I am holy. And number two, I'm acceptable. I'm acceptable to God. That means that I'm beloved and that I am perfect. And I love this. Um, Next verse, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. There's two different words here, conformed and transformed. Com- to be conformed in the English language means to be outwardly changed to a way of being or a system or a vocabulary or behavioral, right? Conformity. Uh, anyone can be conformed to perfection. Anyone could act perfect, Right? But interiorly, inside of their heart, there's no transformation. Do you know what I'm saying? A person can be conformed to a religious system. They can be religious. To, they can be conformed to a religious vocabulary. They can be conformed to what they know about God or what they're hear, hearing about God. But the world says, "Be conformed to the way we are." You know, how many people do we know that because of the desperation to be accepted and loved? And to understand it and to feel that they have a sense of value, uh, only live in behavioral um, conformity so that they can feel loved. I mean, people do that. We do that. We do that unconsciously. We can do that very easily. But God is not asking us to be conformed. God wants to be. God wants us to be transformed. Conformity happens on the outside, but no inner change. Transformation happens on the inside even though there's no outside um, results yet. If we are consistently being transformed on the inside by the renewing of our minds, guess what? The rest just falls into place. The rest is going to correct itself. A sick plant, what do you do? You, what, do you tr- you, what do you try to do with a sick plant? You just keep giving it water. Just keep giving it water. Pouring the water into the soil. Give it sun. You're not going to put medicine on the leaves, right? You're not going to... I don't know what you would, you know, we got to feed the plant. We got to just put something in it so that it can be fed. And that's how transformation, I'm going to close with this, is that transformation happens in the minds. The transferring, transformation by the renewing of your minds. Minds renewal. Our minds need to be renewed. We need to be challenged in our minds. We need to, we need to, Allow God to renew the minds. Like when we come to church midweek, you know, I know we're all busy. We got a thousand things going on, and 
you know, try to break away from the schedule. But I think when we come, we're being renewed in our minds. We're being renewed. We're being quickened. There's a renewing. There is a regeneration. There is a, in Ephesians 4, verse 23, and I, I love this verse. And Boy, I'm going to ask for a Bible like this for Christmas. It's my birthday. This is really nice. Don't give me this one. This is Pastor Thomas. Ephesians 4, verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Let's look at verse 22. But put off concerning the former conversation the old man. Paul's saying, put the old man off. The old man is conformed to the world. It believes the lie of the devil. And it's under the bondage of, gen- of your genetics and your family. Right? The flesh. You know, we got stuff in our genetics that we don't even know about. Our great-great-great-grandfather maybe was, you know, was into stuff that we don't even know about. That His genes are inside of us. We got Adam's genes. We got Cain's genes, who was a murderer. We have Lamech's genes, who had seven wives. Okay, we got those genes in us. And these genes are the old man. We got to put that off. How do we put that off? Well, Paul tells us, by being renewed in the spirit of your minds. And that's how it works. We, we get, and we put on the new man. You know, I remember traveling to Hungary to visit Pastor Schaller and you know, he would take these trips to Hungary and sometimes be away from his family for quite a while because of the mission that he was on. And I went to the room that he stayed in, you know, this little private, simple room in the men's dorm. And next to his bed, it was very simple, next to his bed was a whole pile of just tapes, just messages, doctrine tapes, just literally a pile. And there was a tape recorder there. And... You know, he lived in mind renewal. And, you know, listening to not just messages, but messages that have the finished work grace message. There's a difference there because if there's not the grace message or the finished work, then what will happen is, is that the flesh is going to be empowered by the law, by the, the, the flesh is going, to be, is going to be energized by the power of the, of, of the law. And and I I just and this is the last point here is is that the law, the flesh, the law energizes the flesh. And when we hear the law, the law the flesh wants a program. Give me a program, something I can do, something I can feel good about myself. That's what the flesh wants. The flesh wants an improvement program. It wants to feel good about its shameful, dilapidated, bad history. It's like, oh, I'm such a bad person. What are you doing about it? Well, I'm doing this and this and this and this and this. Oh, that's great. You should feel great about yourself. But the problem is I don't feel great about myself. I don't feel different. My behavior's changed, but I don't feel different. And that's, that can only happen by the renewing of our minds, renewing of the minds where, where God speaks and our spirit is quickened and we are no longer um, being pulled down to the dust, but... And it's good. And the, and and the verse that I'm talking about here is John chapter six, verse sixty-three. It says that Jesus said, "My words, they are what life. They are spirit, and they are life." Right? And let's we can just read this verse here together. My words, they are spirit and life. Okay. John six, verse sixty-three. It says this: "It is a spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing." The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. They are spirit and they are life. It's the spirit that quickens. 
And when we hear the word, we're renewed in the spirit of our minds in Ephesians 4, verse 23. And this is how we overcome the old man's identity, the old false identity that we've had. And this is why the word, an anointed word and a, and a message that's preached from the finished work perspective is going to cause us to grow in our relationships. It's going to have us grow out of our out of our out of our uh, patterns of thinking, and this is the only way that we can be delivered, not by a program that can make us feel good, but by a lively word that quickens us through the Holy Spirit by mind renewal, being renewed in the spirit of, our, of your mind. And you know our messages, these messages that we preach, we need to get everybody's messages somehow, but we don't have the tech yet to do it. But messages that we're preaching are online. And if you're at home and you have nothing to do and you're like, I got to hear a message, then you can go to our website and you can listen to a message. You can, or you can go to Greater Grace's website, ggwo.org, and listen to a message from Pastor Shaller or Pastor Shabelli or Pastor Stevens. I mean, there's stuff out there. And I want to just encourage us that, that every day we would just be quickened in the spirit of our mind through a cross that's crucified the old and all things are new. Amen? Because we're going places with God, aren't we? Personally. Just think about how God has impacted people around you because of your decisions. It's amazing, isn't it? Your kids, your grandkids, your parents, your siblings, friends, people are being impacted by your life. Amen? Amen. So let's close in prayer. Father, we just thank you.